0: Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning. I have to follow an, a camel and be in front of lunch. I, I'm, not, I'm not in a good place. Yeah, quit looking at your watch, because um, I've got 27 pages. <laughs> well, nah, it's probably not 27. <laughs> um, we are talking, uh, we're still in our series on The Simple Church, and today we're going to talk about My Redeemer Lives. Uh, that's something that we say a lot of times at Easter, but really it it happens every day. We we know that that our Redeemer lives now. My Redeemer lives. What does that mean? Does that mean that we can go to lunch with him and we can watch a movie and you know just hang out like we do with friends? Well, yes, but not like you do with friends. He's he's there, but he's here. So um, there are over a hundred verses in the bible that talk about my redeemer lives now fortunately or unfortunately depending on how you look at it we don't have time to go over all 100 verses so i'm only going to do 87 of them (laughs) so um as i was doing my research for this uh, message and looking at the scriptures and everything i came across job now we don't talk about job very much um but we're gonna today um and our our Passages from Job 19, 20 through 27, and it reads, I am nothing but skin and bones, I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Let's pray. Jesus, we trust you with our hearts. You created our hearts and have seen it in ways we cannot understand. You see the places we can only feel, and you love us even still. Jesus, we give you everything we are experiencing in our lives that is painful or causing us to feel a distance from you. Jesus, lift us up to you. Protect us from the lies of the enemy and remind us that you have given your life so that we can receive healing, strength, and grace in you. Jesus, please be with our time and make it a time where your words come through me and your people here. In the blessed name of Jesus, we pray, Amen. amen. So, have you ever wondered why life is so unfair? Haven't we all asked that question before? Why is life unfair? Things happen to us, but the Bible states clearly that God does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. The tougher question that most believers have is, why does God allow such awful things to happen? Why is life unfair? Well, we could say that the reason is because we live in a sin world. Uh, Dr. Bill Bulkwright, a retired pastor, wrote this answer to the question, why is life so unfair? He wrote, in the Garden of Eden, there were no tragedies or illness or death. It was a paradise. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God and exchanged paradise for a sin-marred world, a place where awful things can and do happen. This is not only a sin-marred world, it's also a free world. God will not turn us into puppets or robots. To take away our freedom would be to distort our basic humanity. That is why God rarely intervenes miraculously to prevent accidents, to stop murderous criminals, or to force terrorists to behave. God usually allows natural, event, uh, natural, natural laws to operate, even when one of those is a disastrous hurricane. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't prevent lightning from striking Americans while leaving Australians unprotected. He, he, um, God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves Armenians as much as he loves Americans, And he loves Italians as much as he loves Israelis. Charles Wesley once wrote a story, and it goes something like this. One day, while we were having lunch, I asked my wife a strange question. It was sort of out of the blue, and she didn't know what to make of it. I asked her, what would you think if a good friend came up to you and sliced you with a knife? Well, she said, shocked, that would be terrible. Yes, I said. But what if he was a surgeon as he was performing an operation that would save your life? Well, that's different, isn't it? We still wouldn't like it at the time, but we'd be grateful that we had a friend that was skilled enough to help in a critical moment. When Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him, he was saying, I know that God loves me, that he is the great physician, and he is never doing anything that meant for harm in me. But he will, it will, he will always work for my good, even if it appears at the time that um, it's, it's bad, it's harming us, um, but it's all in reality to benefit us. So I'm going to trust him completely. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. I know that my redeemer lives and ever prays for me. <clears throat> Mountain Dew, but I'm not going to hold it up like a camel. <laughs> I don't have a split lip. Um, before I get to my main point, I'd like to give uh, you a little background because context is important. Um, I'll be talking about Job today. Uh, some of you, maybe even all of you, um, have heard of uh, about Job, but this background will get us all on the same page and all in the same frame of mind, so that we can all move forward. Uh, So, the book of Job is a masterpiece of Hebrew poetry and Western literature. Those are big words and they don't go good together. (laughs) Don't giggle at me. Um, As the first poetic book in the English Bible, Job introduces the reader to the idea of Hebrew poetry, which involves the repetition and combination of ideas more than sounds it's fascinating to think that as we open this text we may be faced with the earliest of all written accounts of human beings relationship with yahweh the one true god the book of job is not primarily about one man's suffering and pain jobs problem jobs job's problem job job yeah sorry um job's problem is not so much financial or social or medical it's a theological problem Job must deal with the fact that in his life, God doesn't always act the way that he wants God to act. I think we've all been there. We've all wanted God to act a certain way, and he does something else. Um, The book of Job is not so much a record of solutions and explanations of this problem. It's more a revelation of Job's experiences and the answers carried within this experience. It is then a true and real history that we have of him and not a fiction or a moral parable as some have believed. Does anyone know who Robert King Merton was? Anyone? Anyone? Nope, okay. So you may not know who he was. He was a Colombian uh, university sociologist who died in 2003. Why am I bringing him up, you ask? Well, um, he coined the phrases that you may have heard, um, like self-fulfilling prophecy, he was the first one to say that, and unintended consequences, we've probably heard that too. Um, It was Merton who invented focus groups and who popularized serendipity. And it was Merton who coined the phrase role model to describe someone who provides an example of positive behavior. The term may be new, or relatively new, but the, uh, the concept is as old as the Bible. And if you want a role model of someone transformed by the message, there's no one to look at other than Job. According to James uh, 5, 10, and 11, Job was a role model for us all. So who is this man Job? Uh, and, and why was he such a great role model? Well, I'm going to tell you. In the land of Uz, Uz, Uz I'm not a, I don't know the pronouncing, but it used to, it's the modern day Saudi Arabia. So we'll just call it Saudi Arabia. Um, There lived a man whose name was Job. Job was not an Israelite. His non-Israelite status explains the absence of key things in the book, like um, the law, the covenant, um, the temple, and any reference to Yahweh. Other than being from Saudi Arabia, the first thing the Bible tells us about Job is that he was righteous and godly, blameless and upright, and man who feared God and shunned evil. One might assume from these first two verses that Job was a simple man uh, of humble means because the rarest person whose heart is fixed on God is, also has everything in, that life has to offer. But Job was rich. He was very rich. Uh, he was a great man by world standards. Uh, Job is a story of a righteous man suffering apparently as a result of a heavenly wager between God and Satan. Uh, Job had 10 children, many servants, and his livestock numbered in the thousands. He was the greatest man among all people of the East. Great by man's standards and by God's standards. We can surmise that every need Job had was met and every desire was fulfilled. Job 1, 4 and 5 tells us that Job's sons were also rich and would annually, on their birthdays, invite their sisters to partake with them in a lavish feast lasting for days. Job served as the family priest. He feared God so much that he made sure his children were purified following these feasts in case their partying caused um, them to sin against God. So early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each one of them thinking, perhaps children have sinned and cursed God in their heart. This, is what, this was Job's regular custom. So what would our lives look like if we did the same thing? I know we, wait, we stay up late and wait for our kids to come home, um, and if they get into trouble, we'll go help them out. But I doubt if any of us would be sacrificing something in the morning just in case they did something wrong. But Job would. Job sacrificed a burnt offering just in case, not, not because he knew they did, but just in case they did something wrong. Job's life was picture perfect. Job's character is depicted as goodness and innocence, setting us up for a climax in which Satan is granted permission by the Lord to test Job's, Job's faith and faithfulness. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan asked? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand, strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything that he has is in your power, but you must not lay a finger on him. And later in the story, Satan says, skin for skin, a man will give up all that he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So how did, how did Job suffer? Job then experienced ultimate human sufferings at the hand of Satan, but allowed by God. The Sabaeans attacked and stole all of, of Job's oxen and donkeys and killed a portion of his servants. Fire fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and more of Job's servants. The Chaldeans attacked his and stole Job's, Job's camels, killing even more of his servants. A mighty wind swept from the desert and destroyed the house where all of Job's children were and kill, killing them all. And Satan afflicted Job with painful sores from the bottoms of his feet to the top of his head. So all that going on, how did Job respond? Well, following the first four tragedy, Job mourned, and then he worshiped, uttering the words of the famous passage in Scripture that says, "'Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord give, and the Lord take, has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised.'" Now, I don't know about you, but if I lost everything, all my kids, all my stuff, and I was sitting with a bunch of sores, it would be hard for me to say what Job said. Um, I would probably ask why is as all this happening. But, but not Job, he, he's right in there. Uh, after Satan afflicts him with the flesh-eating disease, Job sits in a heap of ashes and scrapes himself with shards of pottery and wishing he had never been born. His theology, however, remains intact, even after his wife encourages him to curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept God from, good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, Job had some friends, they came to see him, and he was so distraught that he was unrecognizable. So they sat down with him for a week and said nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you need a friend just to come in and sit down and and not say anything. I think we try to fix people's problems when when we see them in, in, struggling. So we try to fix their problem instead of just sitting there and holding their hand and saying nothing. Ultimately, Job gets his conversation with God. God reminds Job of his deity and authority, of his power over creation and his wisdom and omnipresence, of his understanding and supremacy. Job's response to the character of God is, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted who is this that hides counsel without knowledge therefore i have uttered what i did not understand things too wonderful for me which i do not know so as a recap a recap when he loses all his wealth and his precious children their house collapses while they were feasting job rends his garments and mourns but he does not turn away from god he is then subjected to another test In round two of the heavenly debate, Satan suggests that afflicting Job's body and making him ill will lead him to curse God. Again, Job's response is a spiritual one. Shall we not receive the good with the bad? However, his unnamed wife encourages him to curse God and die. Can you imagine a supportive, loving spouse encouraging you to do that? But he does no such thing. Rather, Job sits suffering in silence and an ash heap scraping the, the sores that had broken out all over his body. Despite the intense tribulation and unanswered questions, he verbally affirmed his commitment to the Lord five times. So let's take a few minutes this morning to look at Job's great fa- statements of faith that are planted like signposts in the book of Job. His first statement of faith is, blessed be the name of the Lord. In Job one, the devil stirred up trouble for Job. In responding, Job fell to the ground, not in despair, but worship, saying, naked I came to my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our life lesson here is simple. We came in this world with nothing. And when you die, you will leave here with nothing. Everything that you've worked so hard for, your big house, your nice new cars, your big screen TV, your bank account is all going to be left here for your spouse or your children or the government. One of those things is going to happen. Um, The second statement of faith is actually a question. It says, shall we not accept the good with the bad? The devil unleashed another attack, this time on Job's health. His wife said, are you still trusting God after all this? Job rebuked her again and said, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. There are several insights woven into this verse, one of which is the importance of sanctified acceptance. Sanctified acceptance is sometimes things happen, even if we wish otherwise. Remember the the serenity prayer, it says, God grant me the serenity, Serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, that's, that's what sanctified acceptance is. One of the hardest things for us to accept is the fact that God is in control, not you and not me. He has the perfect plan, not us. Most of all, Romans 8.28 states clearly, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that all things work together for good, I'm sorry, to them that, who are called according to his purpose, not our purpose. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not about you and me. So we need to get over ourselves and just walk according to his word. His perfect plan that is written long before we were even thought of. So that brings me to the third statement of faith. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Job 4.36 is an account of a discussion between Job and his friends who suggested that his problems occurred because of an unnamed or or unconfessed sin. Job resisted that argument and reaffirmed his faith in God. Though he could not explain his suffering, in one of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible, he said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I've come to appreciate that attitude. It conveys a sense of utter trust in God, that, that he will never do anything that will in any way or ultimately hurt us. Um, however it looks at the time. He's doing things for our good. We, we only see the here and now. We don't see the, what's coming. Um, okay, so now our fourth statement of faith is, I know that my Redeemer lives. And now we come to the Old Testament's greatest Easter text. Job's fourth declaration of faith. Notice the personal pronouns. Job isn't making a theological statement. He's expressing his own feelings. He is stating with all the boldness that he can muster up. He speaks, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Jesus rose from the dead, and one day the bodies of his chi- body of his children will be resurrected. This passage contains truths of redemption of the soul, the person of the Redeemer, the resurrection of the body, the second coming of Christ, the end of the world, and the promise of everlasting life. That's our message for this morning. But wait, I have a special bonus statement that Job made for you. Um, His fifth statement of faith is, He knows the way I take. The final great declaration of faith is in Job 23, 8 through 12. Job asserts, in effect, My troubles won't last forever, and they are not without purpose. He knows the way I take, and when it is over, I will come forth as gold. After Job had almost lost himself in the jumble of the divine counsel, How contentedly does he sit down at length with this thought? Though I know not the way that he takes, for his way is in the sea and his path in the great waters. His thoughts and his ways are infinitely above ours, and it would be presumptuous of us to pretend to judge them. Yet he knows the way that I take. This is Job's friends judging him for doing something that they did not know, and therefore charged him what he was never guilty of. But God, who knew every step he had taken, would not do so. Psalm 139.3 states, You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. It is a great comfort to those believers that honestly believe that God understands their meaning, though men do not, cannot, or will not. So now we're gonna have a little interactive portion, okay? So when I do this, you're gonna say my Redeemer lives. Okay, so let's practice. My Redeemer lives. Oh, come on, you can give a little bit more than that. Let's try again. My Redeemer lives. Okay, so First John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. My is. Thank you. Um, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. My is. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My is... John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My is... You're pretty good. Proverbs 23, 11 says, For the Redeemer is strong. Job 19.25 says, I know that my redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. My redeemer lives. You're so good. Um, As we uh, close today, um, I have a question for you. Are you facing trials and troubles right now? The hope of the resurrection braced up the heroes of the Old Testament, the saints of the New Testament, champions of Christian history, and you and me and everyone here. And we can sing the lyrics of the song sung by Nicole C. Mullen. She She sings, I know my Redeemer lives. Let all creation testify. Let this life within me cry. I know my Redeemer lives. He lives to take away my shame. He lives forever, I'll proclaim. That the payment for my sin was the precious life he gave but now he's alive and there's an empty grave hi this is pastor nick thanks for listening i hope something that you heard today was very helpful if you want to connect with us further feel free to check us out on facebook instagram or our website kanoichurch.org sure i'm glad we're in this together